Hello and welcome to the United on Wheels podcast. How are you? It's me, Paul Amadeus Lane. So happy to have you on the show today. We are going to talk to two amazing individuals. So you don't want to miss that coming up here shortly. If you are a caregiver in a relationship with the person that you are caring for and you want to find out how to do that successfully over uh, many years, we have a couple that's going to share their insight. And I'm part of that community too. My my wife is also my caregiver as well. Uh, so there are some things that we can share with you. Maybe you are new to this now. And maybe there are some things you're not quite sure of what to do. Or maybe you may feel even overwhelmed. But we're going to talk about that. And if you're a caregiver in general, maybe there's some insight that we can share with you that can, that can help you as well. Remember, go to unitedspinal.org to find out some great things that we have going on as an organization. And one of the cool things that we've launched earlier this year, and that is BAM, our Strong Will Together campaign. What you'll be able to do is submit a nomination for those who have spinal cord or other disorders who are excelling in arts, sports, entrepreneurship, leadership, you can help them to be recognized in our Strong Willed Together campaign. You can go to our website and click on it, submit your nomination. Again, for individuals with spinal cord injuries or disorders, let me correct that, (laughs) excelling in, in different areas out there, we definitely want you to nominate them and go go to our our website. Recently, we had an article on our website entitled Growing Stronger Together on the Front Lines of Caregiving. And we heard the story and the journey of two amazing people, Steve and Heidi. We wanted to spend a little more time with them to talk to them more about their dynamic of being a married couple in which Steve is the caregiver. And we are so delighted to be able to welcome them on. So without any further delay, hey, Steve and Heidi, what's up? How you guys doing? Hey, we're great. We're great. And we're uh, equally honored to be part of this with you. Thank you. Thank you. We are so happy to have you in. Thank you so much. And uh, wanted to start off. How did you guys meet in the first place? Ah, well, we were uh, we were in college. I was a senior, and Steve was a junior, and uh, it was right at the beginning of of that year. And we had mutual friends. They introduced us. In fact, um, it was uh, the girl, well now woman, uh, who was my caregiver all four years in college, and also a dear friend. And her boyfriend was uh, lived in the same dorm that Steve did. And so the two of them kind of uh, say, hey, these two might might be good together. And they introduced us. And this one evening to kind of make it easy, I guess the first time was all four of us went out uh, for the evening, just to have drinks and chill and talk. And, and it was a really nice experience. Yeah. But it is just sort of interesting that it all it all goes back to caregiving and personal care attendance from sort of the foundation. And for what it's worth, we've been, I guess this, we're entering our 34th year of marriage or will be in June. And 
I think they've been together. They've been a couple like 35 years and they're married 30 plus years. So what are the odds of both of that? Both mm-hmm. the, all a bunch of Northeast Ohio kids. You know, I feel like a rookie, uh, Steve and Heidi, because I've been married for 26 years um, this year in September and been with my wife. It'll be 30. One years this year, so I'm I'm just a rookie when it comes to yeah. comes to uh, being with, being with my caregiver, and now she's my wife, so I can learn a lot of things from you guys. So, so that that well, is really cool. You know, if you polled Heidi, she might only say that half of those 33 were good ones. I don't know. Sometimes I don't keep up my end of things. <laughs> you know what? You know what, Steve? We as husbands, you know, I I I feel your pain, my friend. I definitely, 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 definitely get that. And uh, let's talk about if you guys don't mind. Um, some of your personal and professional background. You guys mind sharing that with us? No, no. I guess I'll jump in first, but you can smack me because maybe male ego make me talk too long. But <laughs> I was, I'm trained as a journalist. I, I worked at like the big daily paper through college when Heidi met me. Kent State was our college for what it's worth. And uh, worked for a large paper, not really covering disability issues because they weren't that interested in all candor, but worked for them a lot of time. We moved to Miami to kind of get out of the frozen cold and then wheelchairs slipping on ice and all of that. Uh, in 2000, I ended up working as an urban policy advisor for a city commissioner. And the last 12, 15 years has been largely in marketing and storytelling on urban design, town planning, architecture, transport engineering. So that it, it goes hand in glove because all of those very much, you know, if you if you don't build a built environment for all, you're not building a good built environment. So. That is so true. That is so true. And Heidi, uh, let's talk about your uh, professional sure. background, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, I uh, um, went to, uh, well, majored in English in undergrad and knowing that it was just going to be a platform on to law school. Went, uh, went uh, as Steve said, our, our undergrad institution was Kent State University, um, and then I went on to Ohio State University College of Law and graduated and passed the bar in the first try and practiced law for about 10 years. Um, I uh, never entered a courtroom. I was a transactional attorney for two different state government agencies, and a lot of what I did dealt with regulatory compliance, um, and in fact, I the agencies I worked with also enforced Ohio Basic Building Code. So there was some of that already in, in that period of my life. Uh, we moved here in 2000, as Steve said, to Miami. And um, we both wanted to transition into something a little bit different. And I wanted to do something that was much more disability focused because I really hadn't gotten much into doing that. Uh, and so I wanted to do ADA compliance. And we moved here without jobs, <laughs> the most crazy, risky thing we've ever done in our lives to uh, uh, kids who are normally risk averse and um, struggle for a few months to, to look for work. And I was very fortunate. I was hired as the first full-time uh, Americans with Disabilities Act uh, coordinator for the city of Miami Beach, Florida. And uh, that was my first real ADA focused job. My regulatory compliance practice, uh, you know, experience came in extremely handy. I was there six years, and then uh, I was very fortunate that the Miami-Dade County government uh, was needed to fill their ADA, senior ADA position, and I interviewed for it, and I got it. So I've been with Miami-Dade County government uh, since uh, 2007. 
Wow. And just one kind of postscript, because uh, it's really worth sharing. Uh, Absolutely. We, uh, way back when, we started writing together. I, I, I kind of think the student has outdone the teacher. Um, Heidi's just, I mean, she's always been an amazing writer, but kind of transitioning from English to, to journalism. But, uh, yeah, we wrote a lot of travel articles way back in Ohio. Then we transitioned to more of the planning policy. And then the real great culmination of that, which hopefully everyone who watches this can look it up or, or follow or, or advocate for it, is we probably lobbied about 10 years through two different deans at the University of Miami School of Architecture. And currently, we're just a little past the halfway point of the spring semester. We created a, a universal design class for architects and urban designers. And I don't know that any of us can draw that much of a stick, man. It's really more policy and, and inclusion. But uh, it's really a fabulous opportunity to get almost all graduate and fifth year architecture students. So they're going to be practicing very soon. And uh, it's an eye opener for them. Uh, again, I, I don't want to say it's kind of negative, but it's it's the truth that uh, most of their architectural studios from very learned and, and famous architects had sort of kicked the ADA to the curb. It was sort of like, oh, you'll just learn this or, you know, or it's an onerous process. I, I know we're we're speaking to the choir with this audience, but, you know, that's that's not the right way to build an inclusive environment is to act like ADA is some pain in the rear. Do this so you don't get sued instead of build it because it's durable and inclusive. And that's what America's about. And one thing that I noticed, too, Steve, I'm glad you mentioned that, was that whenever something is designed for the wheelchair community, that once we're not wheelchair users, they appreciate that change too, like a little wider doors or curb cutouts and all these different things that we see that that are being built um electronic doors are are you know when it comes to uh, uh faucets and everything they appreciate it too so it's like everybody can use it if you do it one size will fit all the way you know, look at how exponentially amazon and, and all and just even getting things through fedex certainly covid you know it, most everybody was getting two-thirds of their, you know, we're getting everything but whatever, fresh fish and tomatoes via the delivery. And, yeah, think about the curb ramps, how good that is for the delivery people. I know they love our wheelchair ramp. I know, you know, when we changed out the washer-dryer, you know, I, I think the guy was ready to buy us a cake instead of griping about holding, you know, hauling away the old one because they didn't break their back going up steps. And, you know, I, I know Heidi always mentioned closed captioning, which is obviously more of a hearing than a mobility thing, but, you know, you, you can't walk into a sports bar without the thing being on the closed caption because otherwise you have 98 different broadcasters competing with the sound. So, yeah. again, that's something that was created as a disability thing, but it's it's like, you know, it's second nature. For, that's know, so people. true. Yeah. And Steve, over the years, how has your perspective on uh, disability uh, changed over the years, if you don't mind sharing that? No, that's a phenomenal question. Uh, I think it's become a lot more personal and political. Uh, again, I'll back up. You know, when we want to go out, uh, Heidi's uh, brother's in town this coming weekend. You know, we're picking a, sea, a Florida seafood restaurant because it's a good old-fashioned Florida seafood restaurant, not just because it has, like, the most ADA-ish restroom or the widest ramp. But, you know, I just I feel like a part of the disability community by marriage or by partnership. And... Uh, you know, I, I'm not a negative person, but I must say when it passed in 1990, I really would have thought there would be more things. I wouldn't think there'd be so much pushback, like, say, a government agency is going to spend money on housing. And the person's like, 
we shouldn't have to build any of this accessible. That's too much money. Or all oh, the doors are hard to source. Or all the developers will balk. And you're thinking, if government can't include everyone, what can? And you know, uh, let's be honest. This nation has, you know, some of our most embarrassing thing was in exclusion of people with color. You know, we, uh, we had. It wasn't until 1964 that people even had basic civil rights. And I somehow feel like, you know. 31 years into the ADA, we're still waiting for, for an extension of those civil rights. You know, and it, it, you know, people just look at you like, well, if you don't like it, sue me. And I don't understand that. I mean, one in four people will experience some sort of disability in their lifetime. That's a huge market share. It, it's, it's good business. It's good policy to build inclusively. And again, yeah. that, that's, you know, that's so true. You know, taking away, replacing three little steps with a ramp, that's not going to make an Olympian balloon up to 300 pounds it's not gonna you know those subtle changes are not gonna if you want to exercise you can still go running or run up and down steps at the mm -hmm. you know at the high-rise building or whatever it's not I, I get so many people nowadays with all this healthy design saying mm -hmm. oh if you make it for your wife it's this nanny state and it's too comfortable and, and i'm sorry that's bs yeah uh, I, I i definitely hear you on that and, and heidi how has um, your ADA advocacy and expertise uh, has been enhanced with uh, with Steve by your side? Wow, um, golly! I mean, it, it, it's something I guess that we, of course, both talked about where we very first met. Um, we uh, were um, we met September nineteenth, nineteen eighty five, and we were engaged by Christmas of that year. Uh, we were engaged though for two and a half years and, and really got to know each other super well. Um, from the get-go, Steve was totally cool. I mean, I had dated a few people and, um, you know, I, one of the tests I would do <clears throat> would be if I went out in public with somebody in a wheelchair and to see how that the person would react with people maybe looking at us. And um, Steve was just, you know, it was like nothing. He was totally cool with it all. But of course, still understood the need for certain adjustments and so forth in terms of my life. Um, and so it's between the two of us in terms of our marriage, it's just such a, um, a second nature kind of a thing. Uh, but in, in addition to that, we've, uh, because it is so much a part of our, I guess, our, our DNA in a way, we um, are almost always thinking about these kinds of issues and seeing them in terms of not only the practical, but the social policy um, perspective as well. <clears throat> so it's it's almost um, second nature for us, to, even if we're just going to go out and have a walk down the street that we're not as familiar with. We're almost always noting things, you know, like, well, gosh, that curb ramp's probably too steep. And, gee, this could benefit if they just widen the sidewalk here a little bit. But it's kind of always something that's that's in our, our minds and, and so forth. And, you know, we we certainly didn't grow up rich, but I suppose we grew up fairly privileged. I mean, we both grew up in the suburbs and, you know, we were the mainstream. Most of the kids in school looked like us. And, and our, our parents were definitely Freddy cats that wouldn't challenge anything and sort of like the quote unquote, whatever white Anglo-Saxon Protestant establishment. But yeah, we, you know, we haven't chained ourselves to trees or jumped in front of a bulldozer, but we are, I think all through our life, we have evolved towards social justice and i'm not saying we need some sort of badge of reward but yeah you just you see the gap we are terminally middle class and we have to bite the bullet sometimes with paying for an accessible van or a modification on the house and we look at 
how big of a check we write, we know there's a lot of people that can't even come close to, to paying for that. And that, it just breaks your heart. You know, I, maybe our parents group would have gloated like saying, hey, we're the good people. You know, we God put us on earth to be the ruling class or whatever. We can cut that check. But, you know, I look at it the other way of we're doing it by the grace of God and we're going to be eating pork and beans for a month to make up for it. You know, what if what if someone else is in that gap between they're not on SSI or they're not in public housing? How on earth do you throw the cost of repairing a van or modifying a room? And as we all know, you know, you can join the disability community in a heartbeat. It's the only one that's across all races, ages, orientations. Um, and I'm sorry, if we, I'm probably going to yap too much here as I want to do, but to sort of transition to a little of this theme with caregiving, I, uh, I'm going to fess up on something. I probably still do it. I think I was terrible at, at doing it. I don't know, 10, 12 years in our marriage, maybe even longer. But I think sometimes I got this sort of self-righteous. I don't think I had to prove myself to Heidi because she's incredibly loving and, and supportive and, and understands that we're teammates. But uh, I think sometimes, you know, we'd pull into something and I don't know, there was a bicycle in the curb ramp or a motorcycle. And, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pretty big dude as it is. And I used to be a huge dude, like 300 pounds. And, you know, I wanted to like, throw the motorcycle into a pond, you know, or I just wanted to, I don't know, whatever, knock down the door of the restaurant and tell them, you know, we called about this. Why the hell is this blocked? Or, you know, or how come we're sitting at, I don't know, we're crawling on our knees at the bar when, cause the main restaurant area is up five steps. And, and I just, you know, there's times where you got to pick your battles and there's times, you know, it's, if it's your anniversary dinner, you probably care more about the steak and the chocolate souffle than you do about making a, a stand. So I don't know how common this is. I mean, this would be fodder for one of my stories for New Mobility or United Spinal, but I wonder how many relatively able-bodied spouses that are their partner's primary caregiver maybe, you know, maybe be, launch some campaigns that are not requested. You know, maybe there's, maybe I'm crazy or maybe there is some commonality syndrome with that. Piggyback on what Steve was talking about, the, the kind of that frustration when you guys go out sometimes. Uh, how do you personally deal with that? Because I think wheelchair users like myself, we, we want to learn well, how to act sometimes. So you want to share that with us? Sure. Um, you know, there's some days that, uh, depending on the mood I'm in, I guess, I can I see things that are not compliant and things that are just kind of, you know, thoughtless and, and could easily be adjusted to make, you know, spaces and places more accessible. But, um, you know, sometimes you just, you, you're living your life and you don't really have the time or the inclination to get caught up in it. Um, but then there's some days for whatever reason that you see something and it really sticks with you. And I, I find that I, I, I have to feel like I have to say something to somebody and, you know, make a complaint or make an observation. Uh, it just it, it kind of just depends on that. It, I guess it's like kind of like being a, a person with a disability is very obviously disabled. Obviously, wheelchair users are. Um, you know, some days you'll have a stranger that'll ask you something even personal about your disability because they think you're there to teach uh, the human race about disability. And sometimes I have no problem talking. And then sometimes I just have no tolerance for that, for somebody asking me a highly personal question that they have they don't know me and I don't know them. I think it's just a matter of, you know, what are you doing that day where your mind is and whether it's something that you 
feel like you can you want to focus on, and sometimes you just don't. I think Heidi, one good story to maybe tell briefly is uh, about the uh, whatever, like the tire change lube oil place that you'd gone to like a half dozen times over the years, but then decided that your van wasn't going to work there. Yeah, that's you... yeah. I have a lowered floor minivan with a ramp, uh, and I, I'm able to drive it. And I had gotten uh, a set of tires from a local um, garage, and I signed a service contract for for a few years so that if anything happened to them, they would fix them with no charge. And I went in to have the tires balanced and so forth. This one particular time, place I've been to many times. And the new new manager said, no, we can't provide service for your van because it's lowered floor. You know, he had no really good reason why. He just kept saying that they could not. And then I needed to go to a different franchise, same company, which is this. And they said, you have to go to a different branch that's got, you know, for lowered for vehicles. So I was just, it just really made me angry. And I think in particular the fact that I had signed this service contract, you know, for these tires. So I thought, okay, we got to do something about this. And we did some research uh, on the company. It's a, it is a large chain. And like a thousand national outlets. So this wasn't Zeb and Paul's one thing in the dirt pile. <laughs> yeah. So we, we were able to find like a VP for the region that we wrote a letter to. But in addition to that, um, the our county has a human rights ordinance that prohibits discrimination against people in protected classifications, including disability, and that applies to you know businesses. If a business is discriminatory based on that person's protected class, so I filed a complaint with them and was going through that process, and lo and behold, got a call out of the blue from um, the company and said. We're sorry, come on back, come back to the same place you had been to before, and we'll have no problem. And I, I did, and everything was great. So <clears throat> it took a little pressuring, had to put some, some pressure on them, because it, it also was just the right thing to do. I mean, some of it's the fact that, yeah, they're, in a sense, they're legally obligated, but on top of it, they're, they're really morally obligated. Um, and I, I just really bothered me this thing of chasing us, trying to chase me away, you know, I, for, based on no reasonable. Uh, logic there. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, uh, Heidi, uh, because you know that that means a lot for us who are part of the community and just the frustrations that we had and see how you and Steve both work together and that's what makes you guys a great team. You know, not only uh, caregiving and a couple together, uh, but also giving advice on how to deal with certain things. And when it comes to like universal design, and this is something I wanted to focus on just for a moment. Because it really shows why you guys are a great team. And, and working together, what, what is like your formula to, to make sure that both as a caregiver, both as a wheelchair user, that you both are getting the, the same point across for the betterment of, of the mission? Wow, that is a fabulous question. Wow. Uh, I guess I'll leap in and maybe I'll flounder and drown, but... Uh, Again, my background is as a journalist, and I did marketing and still do. So I think, not that you want to go from zero to 60, but if someone is really recalcitrant, if you give them six bullet points and they just look at you like they'd rather rather you fall into a crevice in the earth than to uh, uphold your rights, a lot of times I guess I approach things, I'm thinking like, hey, you know, you don't want this to get into the newspaper or, hey, Look what this would look like for you. Or 
again, you know, one of the fabulous things of Miami, it's it's diverse. There's, you know, I think our zip code is something like 80% foreign born and something like 75% speak a language other than English primarily in their home. And a lot of times I try to look at that. We're all in this together. I mean, if I were hard headed right wing, I would resent that we paid county dollars to do the ballots and the notices. Basically, anything the county does is printed in English, Spanish and Haitian Creole and, and other languages on demand. And I think that's wonderful because if you're an immigrant, you know, and you need to learn where the library is or how to get the trash picked up, you deserve access to that. You shouldn't have to walk down the street or, you know, whatever, subvert yourself to some other person that's bilingual. So while I support that and I love the idea of the most of our commissioners and representatives are people of color and, and, and represent the percentage. You know, if the area is 70 percent Hispanic, then it should have 70 percent Hispanic representation as far as your judges and commissioners. So I think I sort of approach it from the optics thing, whether it's the, hey, if you do the right thing, you could be a precedent setter and you might, you know, nobody gets on the cover of The New York Times for building a house. If you build in a phenomenally inclusive house. Not saying you're going to wind up there, but you know you may well have them have a look see, or at least have a reporter call you. So that's my approach. Right. How do you mention yours? Um, yeah, that's it's a good question. Um, I guess you know I I try to just handle these sorts of things uh, case by case, and um, and and I I do I also do believe that as Kind of echoing what Steve said, that you know, if you're in a marginalized group, which people with disabilities certainly are, if a different marginalized group is able to make progress and so forth, it benefits all of us. It really does. And um, I mean, I fully support gay rights and consider myself an ally. And but I have to tell you, I, if you would ask me 20 years ago, would I think that by this year that there would be um, legal gay marriage in all 50 states, I would have said, this America, I, I can't imagine that that would happen. It's, it's you know, it, it was unfortunate to, that people were uh, anti-gay and so forth in a lot of ways. Um, but I thought, well, yeah, it'd be great, but I can't see this happening here. And yet they have made ama amazing progress. It's fantastic. Um, you know, not that long ago, people uh, on, with autism on the autism spectrum you didn't really hear a lot about um, that particular disability. And now we're real familiar with it in a lot of ways. And Hollywood developed six or seven shows with neurodiversity as part of the pivotal care. Right. So I, I really feel like even if I'm not in a particular group or subgroup, if people in other groups that, are, again, have been marginalized are able to make progress, it's good for every one of us. And, and again, we don't want to come off as preachy or anything. We're normal, just all shucks folks, you know, whatever, trying to quit at a civilized hour and crack open a book or watch our shows. But I, I just, I feel like there's such a missed opportunity because if you added together anyone who is marginalized, whether it's pocketbook, race, sexual orientation, disability, whether it encompasses hearing, vision, mobility, neurodiversity, by any amount, you've got a majority. And I'm just, I'm not seeing that strength. And I just, you know, never, not everybody has to be an activist, but I just feel like, you know, if I'm African-American and that's my central issue is ensuring my rights and ensuring that Obama's not the only president for another 300 years that was a black man in the White House, you know, 
I also need to cross the line and care about disability, even if I'm a 30-year-old that competed in the Olympics when I was 20. And, you know, it goes across the way. You know, I again, yeah, we I think we signed some petition thing when Idiot Florida was still denying gay couples from adoption. You know, they, they, they give it to a incompetent mom that, you know, whatever, burned a house down or something, but not to a, a couple. And, you know, is that couple, when they go out and see someone building a brand new condo and it's horribly inaccessible, or they see someone stuck in the gutter where somebody did a horrible crosswalk, you know, are they writing a letter? Are they, you know, if, if their backyard neighbors are coming, are they saying, hey, what are you guys doing about that? I don't mind a little of my tax money doing that. Again, they don't have to go out and create a foundation and spend 90 hours a week doing it. But I just, I feel like if we cross-pollinated on advocacy, mm-hmm. we could beat the, you know, we could kind of beat back those that give the pushback on mm-hmm. inclusion, inclusion by any definition, not just disability inclusion. You know, one of the things we wanted to spend quite a few a bit of time on is caregiving and relationships and just the dynamic that that plays, especially for maybe newer ones who maybe just been diagnosed, newer ones that just been injured. And it's it's kind of a difficult situation. I remember when I got injured, uh, my wife, who was my fiance then, our whole life changed because we went from planning a wedding that year to me being in the hospital that almost that entire year and not getting married three years later. But then there's other stories where one's get that diagnosis or get that, that accident and then their loved one just leaves them. So we want to really talk to, to that portion of the community and, and have you use your expertise and advice for couples. Right. Uh, with, with the disability and the new roles that they may have from uh, the the patient and then Steve from the, the caregiving perspective too. You guys can share some insight on that. Yeah, I think that um, that it's it's a good idea for both parties to talk about their expectations. You know, what what are their expectations in the relationship and the caregiving um, dynamic and so forth. And um, it's it's not easy, and there's no you know a manual that tells you exactly how to do it or what to do or whatever. But I think that one thing that I, I would recommend, and of course some of this is dependent upon someone's financial situation, but I really feel like since people with disabilities tend to have fewer options in so many aspects of life than people without disabilities, we need to find as many options as we can. Um, even if it's just a plan B, C, D, E, F, you know, I like to go beyond having a plan B. I like to have other possibilities. So that might mean that, you know, the the disabled spouse and the non-disabled spouse will have a caregiving relationship at times, but also seeking uh, caregivers um, that are, you know, paid caregivers or potentially could be, I suppose, extended family that might be available to do some of that as well. But I really feel like you know, talk about it, um, you know, see what both of you are comfortable with, what your expectations are, and then look at all your options. And even if things are going smoothly and your spouse is your primary caregiver, and that's really, you don't really need anyone else technically because they're around a lot, I still truly believe that you should be out there looking 
for good, reliable caregivers, whether it be through a good, reliable service or whether it's, you know, private, just directly from one person to another. And I, if I could dovetail on that, you know, Heidi has been super brilliant. She's found, you know, whatever, we're at typical middle class where whatever, we're not low enough income to qualify for any kind of program. So, you know, most of those things like, oh, you're on Medicaid, or you're on SSI, right? They pay direct. And it's like, no, we'll pay out of pocket. But uh, I used to travel more when I was a reporter. And then when I worked as a policy advisor for a city commissioner in Miami, uh, we used to have this horrible, annoying When COVID hit, now I wasn't traveling at all. Heidi was working from home. Time was a little more flexible. And Typical jackass, short-sighted person that I am, I think I was like, well, hey, let's put some 60 bucks back in our pocket or let's put 40 or, you know, whatever a, a two-hour visit is, etc." You know, and Heidi's like, well, let's continue with them. And, you know, hey, if they come midday, I can go run to the grocery store, you know, maybe, I, you know, run an errand, you know, buy lotto, gas the tank, take the whatever, the lawnmower blade in for the guy that sharpens it and bring home groceries or in the evening, I can go walk. I, I've taken off a lot of weight in the last couple of years, and to maintain that, I can go for a good, good long hustle and walk and take a different route. Um, again, you know, this is, I'm probably end up sounding like I'm a better guy by admitting the stupidity, and, and this is just the rawest truth because when you tell your stories, I think people learn. And, you know, I, uh, I come from a family of extreme mental illness. My mom lived 80 some years on this earth and was pretty much whatever, not so crackers, I don't want to say a mean, a mean word, but she was severely, severely blocked being a real person by her severe, severe depression, OCD. She was like a handbook of, of, of things. And I think that created a person who is very short-tempered, very frust very quick to frustration. Um, you know, one minute I'm a very collaborative person, the other minute it's sort of like, well, you know, damn it, this, you know, whatever, the delivery didn't come on time, you know, this is a personal affront to me. And the upshot is, I have no idea if it's just because she's a fabulous person, or certainly I think disability teaches patience. But, you know, if there's any reason we're married more than three months, three years, whatever, it's to Heidi, because she, it's, you know, she, she lives and reinforces the golden rule every day. We're not real big on old saws, but that's a pretty good one. Uh, I think I, maybe I'm a little bit better than I was years ago, but, you know, she would explain it. You know, yeah, you're going to get pissed at each other. You're probably going to raise a voice. You're probably going to have a fight. I don't mean like, you know, Joe Lewis punching, but, you know, you're going to you're going to have a spat and you're going to have an ugly period. But, you know, you're always on the same team. You know, don't burn a bridge. Don't chop off at the knee. And I'm not going to pretend that I've walked the earth all this time and then almost all my good chunk of my adult life with Heidi that I haven't gone to the point of stupidity or no return, but just, you know, again, that's just, just me as a man, not just as a caregiver, but it's just, you know, having a person in the room that explains teamwork and the we, and, the, and the, you know, even if she dropped the ball, so be it, you know, think of the, think of the 99% of the time when, when we're on the same page. Yeah. I, I also think too, what can help um, is to really make your home as outfitted out as you can mm -hmm. and as accessible as you can. Um, again, I understand that can, that can be um, short, you know, uh, it may be difficult in terms of your financial situation. I totally, I totally get that. But if you can do things like that, obviously that allows more independence for the person with a disability. When Steve's out of town, 
um, if he goes out for you know, a week or something at a conference, uh, I have you know my paid caregivers that come in. But we also try to do as much as we can to set the house in a way that I can use it. Once that caregiver leaves, goes out that door, yes, I could call her back and have her drive back to my house. I don't want to do that. So I try to be as organized as I can. I always have a list of exactly what I need done before she arrives. Um, I also, when Steve's out of town too, we put dishes out on the, on the counters that I can reach. We put all kinds of things out uh, to make it easier. And so I really recommend that you find ways to make your home as accessible as you can and make to also, it's not, I'm, I'm not saying that it's going to allow you to be completely independent of any caregiving, but it certainly will help at times. The other thing too, I think and this is something that we've encountered. I don't have an easy answer for this, but something to consider is I think at times we've had different perspectives as to what the caregiver's role is. Mm-hmm. And my feeling is the caregiver is an extension of me. So the things that I would normally physically do and want to do, that's what the caregiver is to do. Now that's personal care for me, but it's also, I want to pull my weight around this house. I want to have things clean and orderly and done properly. So that's another extension of me, and that's the assistance that I get. However, at times, Steve has seen the caregiver as his, I'm not going to say servant, because that sounds kind of demeaning, and I don't mean it that way, but as somebody that's going to save him time so that he can have more time to himself, which is understandable. But it's a very different perspective (laughs) in terms of how you see the caregiver's role. Uh, and that, if you are have that great, a big gap between the two of you, it's going to lead to arguments and difficulties. Yeah. So I think you need to, that's another discussion to have, is how do you see the caregiver's role? And what is it that they're there to do? And I don't mean just, you know, White House keeping in personal care. I mean, what is the overall role of that person? Um, so that that's just another perspective that I would add to the conversation. Heidi, Heidi's dead on the money. Again, yeah. sort of guilty as charged where I confess I, I'm very demanding and exacting of myself. I think maybe that's why I think both of us are pretty hard on ourselves as individuals. Maybe that's what drives us to be achievers. Maybe it's just what tortures us and we should knock it off before we die. But uh, no, I she's right, you know, because my brain just says, here's a person that you know, we pay almost 10, I don't know, we pay a hell of a lot more than minimum wage because we want a good person that we can trust. And, you know, Miami's kind of legendary for underpaying folks. And, and, you know, I just, yeah, it's like I, we help, Heidi's brilliant. So she plans ahead and she'll show me a list of, I don't know, a dozen to two dozen things. And the minute I come back from my walk or grocery run or just doing something for myself, you know, I, I'm almost looking on that list and it's like, oh, can't litter in one of the three boxes didn't get changed. Oops, the towels didn't look like they got changed. And let's face it, that's not, you know, you wouldn't want a boss like that. If, you know, if you did, if you did 90% on something and that the boss only mentioned the 10% that wasn't perfect or maybe it wasn't collated or maybe you started with B instead of A or, you know, or you, you were a little bit outside the, you know, who, who on earth, unless you were starving to death and needed a crap job, you know, who would put up with a boss that didn't see that you did nine out of ten things phenomenally and just picked on and scratched and picked the scabs off of that ten? Well, you're looking at the guy that's largely a nice guy, that's largely a good humored dude, but when I'm in jackass mode, yeah, I think like, 
hey, that's a handyman slash cleaning lady slash whatever. And we kind of talked about this before a little chat, before we zeroed in on you on, on the software to let's bring that up because, you know, we're an open book and, you know, just pretending that everything was hunky dory and the world just fell in our lap and it was all green lights would be pretty disingenuous. And yeah, I, I, I think I've gotten a bit better on that lately, but, you know, to me, if, if you are an able-bodied person, be it parent, uh, you know, spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, roommate, <coughs> uncle, you know, look at the attendant as an extension of that person, just like the wheelchair is an extension of a person's body. And that's why, you know, you don't want some dumbass, forgive the language, at a water cooler, you know, thinking he's being cool and invading your space and putting his knee up on your leg rest, you know, or, or pushing your chair and saying, hey, Sunday driver, and that kind of stupid yeah. stuff that every person in a wheelchair has heard 50 times within the first month of their injury, you know? So, yeah. You know, I just want to say, Stephen, Heidi, thank you so much for opening up, especially about, about this portion of our, of our chat, because I think it's, it's a, definitely a conversation that um, we definitely need to have that can help out so many people out there. And thank you for your candor and your oh, just no, I appreciate opening it. up. I really appreciate it. You know, yeah. I, I, another thing I would say to, I'm just start quickly. I don't want to take up too much time, but it would be to um, the person with disability, get as informed as you can about what programs you might qualify for, what social programs and so forth. Talk to, you know, if you have a local center for independent living, contact those folks. If there's an ADA coordinator, should be an ADA coordinator for whatever city you live in, county you live in, talk to them. Start having conversations and also with the disability community because there may be, who knows, programs and things that might add, you know, maybe you qualify for something uh, to make your home a little more accessible or, you know, something like that. So I, I just think that, again, this whole thing about we don't have a lot of as many options as non-disabled people do. So we need to find out what our options truly are. And even if we think, oh, that particular program, I can't see myself using those resources now, keep it in mind. You know, don't don't disregard um, and see what, what things are, what options that you have. That's true. And Steve, you're, you're part of uh, the family here at United Spine. And, you know, you write for different publications that we have. And those have been really some invaluable resources. And um, share about how you're able to, to pin thoughts that can help others in this community as well. Proverbial civil servant that's a public works department. You know, don't call the bus person. If it's the bus thing, find out if your transit agency is done by the city or the county. You know, when you... When you call misinformed and you and I we all want to vent. Certainly I have a temper that sometimes vents, but you know, when you when a person answers the phone and says, Oh, you're all a bunch of, you know, fat jackasses that are overpaid and retire at forty, you know, that does exactly position the person to want to help you. You know, we might be thinking that. We may need to write an email to ourselves or something or write, you know, write in our journal that that's how we feel because the city has dropped the ball on accessibility. But, you know, just again, it's just that educate, you know, do Google, you know, just a quick Google search. You may find that one of the commissioners, you know, even if they have like an autistic child, they might be more predisposition to all disability issues. Or if you see a commissioner 75 years old, they, they may not view themselves as disabled, but they probably have, maybe they've used the shopping cart as an artificial walker, or they've had some tiredness issues, or maybe the 30 seconds to cross the crosswalk is, is really, you know, flirting with death with Miami drivers. So they're, they're more in tune, but just, you know, like I said, I'm not expecting somebody to run Robert's Rules of Order or read the city charter, but just 
you know, 20 minutes of homework plus, you know, if a person calls and they feel like they know what they're doing, I was a person that aided uh, constituents and helped write legislation. So if, if the person's kind of within the realm of knowledge, you think, yeah, hey, this is, and, you know, be tenacious but polite. You know, just, you know, say, and I'll be following up in two weeks on this, you know, or, well, you know, I, you know, my whole community cares about this. And within a month or something, I need to tell them what the progress is. I, you know, I don't think that's, that's not saying like, you know, I'm going to come in here, you know, arms blazing, or I'm going to, you know, write an op-ed piece saying your boss is a piece of crud, you know, but it's, you give a little timeline, it, it kind of motivates folks. That's true. That's true. That is so true. true. And, and in closing, um, any other things that you both would like to articulate to the, the viewer or the listener uh, out here in the United Spinal World, uh, just about uh, caregiving, being a couple, and, and anything else you'd like to share? Sure. I, I think that um, <clears throat> that caregive, the caregiving relationship is going to be um, affected by the overall relationship. So uh, I think that it's important to. Um, if you're having difficulty or maybe you're having arguments and so forth, you can't seem to get the, the dynamic that both people are comfortable with, get some help, you know, maybe some maybe some marital counseling or something like that, or even just individual counseling. I mean, I my journey as a person with a disability uh, started when I was eight years old and I, I uh, uh, had a juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when started it all. And it's. I'm 57 and I'm still evolving in my in my disability um, image. Yeah, exactly. So I, it, that affects, of course, the relationship. Um, the more that a person can feel confident, can feel um, a value, uh, can feel good about themselves, um, and and not, I found too in my 50s, which is the best decade I've ever had in my life, is you know, I've, I've seen this meme go around. It says, um, you know, uh, a woman who doesn't care or need the approval of anybody else can be the most amazing creature on earth. It is so true. So work on, on yourself. Work on feeling better about yourself, on your disability, uh, the evolution of your disability, relationship to you and your, your body. And that will definitely affect and hopefully improve your marriage or your, your, your relationship with your, with your partner. And the one thing I would add, and I hope I'm not long-winded with this, but it's something I'm still reconciling. Maybe the, the, the openness of sharing with this is making me roll things through my brain. But one of the things that's probably not good for my ears, and you just hear it constantly, is, you know, people know I'm a caregiver. I don't even want to say I sacrifice. You know, I rearrange my schedule. And but because society has not evolved, and sometimes I think we're still 200 years behind the current times as far as our, sometimes we're in the Bronze Age as far as how we treat disabilities. And, you know, it's just when a boss is like, oh, my God, I don't know if I could do what you do. Or, you know, oh, wow, you know, you've never played tennis with your wife. Not that there aren't wheelchair tennis players, but with arthritics are not the greatest tennis players. Or just, you know, or there's so many vacations that you couldn't take with your wife. And, my God, or just, you know, or, I mean, I've even had people cuss me out or, you know, whatever, some boss that's PO'd at me, but he's at the end there. I guess their olive branch is like, but you're a saint for, for doing what you do. And, you know, just, I think sometimes that can almost get in your head. You know, I just, it, it can on even the playing field. And, you know, you, you do, you almost thinking like, well, you know, 
my God, I did sacrifice, or my God, maybe Heidi owes me, or maybe maybe if I'm a, a jackass, I'm thinking of another word that starts with a letter and ends with whole, but you know, it's like, if I'm bad and, and out of character, maybe she should give me five mulligans because I helped her bathe and I helped grill the fish. And that's such BS. That's just, there's not a place for that. I'm not saying that you can't slide into that because we're human beings. But, you know, again, if we had two hours, we would run out of time listing the things that Heidi brings to the table. And that's probably insulting to even bring it up because it's no shocker. But, you know, we... We have a division of labor. Sometimes we discuss it. A lot of it's unwritten, you know, whatever. She's real good at doing medical bills. And for that matter, I'm an idiot that can't even set the DVR. And she does that, you know, and I, I squash bugs and drag out the 90-gallon trash container and, the, and the, you know, it's companion blue recyclable guy. But it's just, again, I think when you were, again, it's not like I'm an Olympic decathlete, but when you identify as able-bodied and you have, as Heidi said, when you're in a wheelchair, you can't exactly hide or pretend or mask your disability when you go on a job interview or to a dinner party that's up steps. So I think you can slide into this thing like, you know, yeah, we're equal, but maybe they owe me or, you know, or maybe they should put up a little of my, a little more of my crap. And, you know, that's BS. It's BS. It's a partnership. There's just, I'm not saying it doesn't happen because we're human beings, but it's just, there's not room for that to, to be a caregiver well, you know, caregivers like 98th on my job list, if it even is a job. You know, it's it's spouse, it's lover, it's sharer of good books, it's remembering silly movies that we saw Tra when we were dating. Traveling through Spain. Um, you know, one of the things yeah. too. Running into the Prince of Spain that's now the king and talking about wheelchair issues in our baby yeah. Spanish. Um, we don't that's, have we don't have human children. We chose I mean we could have done that. We chose not to. Um, but we have feline children. And I have to say, if you care about animals, you love animals, and you have the money to afford to you know, care for them, I really recommend a, a, a pet. Yeah. I, the, the, our cats, this is going to sound a little silly, but in a lot of ways they brought us really closer together. Um, you know, compassion and their sources of, of entertainment and love and something you both bond over. And we consider ourselves parents. We really do with our with our cats. I know that sounds a little silly. I probably sound like a crazy cat lady, but I do think that if you if you love animals and you can afford to care for one, consider doing that. And I always say to adopt, don't shop. Yes, you can go to a breeder, but I really recommend go to your local shelter and adopt right. a, a cat or dog. Obviously, there's the very direct function of a service animal or an emotional sure. support animal, but yeah. Sure. And those are all great, and obviously the training programs, but yeah, we're, we're just saying like a little fluffy street cat that maybe goes out at night and eventually adopts you and sleeps next to you on your, your pillow or something. But no, it's it's true. I mean, you know, I, hey, the best of us can get a little stale or a little self-involved or maybe just fall under the stress. My God, you know, we all went through COVID. We all went through family members. We all went through the mask. We all went through crazy bosses that wanted you to come back to work too soon or what have you, you know, and, and that's on top of all the other, can I make the bill? Are they going to take the, you know, the medicine that Heidi Despo needs? Are they going to take it out of the formulary and say it's a grand out of pocket every other week or something? We all have those. So it just, it's true that, you know, even if I was being a bit of a butthead and there's probably a much stronger word that should be used, but we'll keep this PG, you know, maybe she sees my compassion towards the cat and, and is reminded, yeah, he, he was, you know, he was a little bit of a, you know, 
a-hole or jackass at noon, but he's he's a good guy or he's caring. And I, it's true. It, it was not in the plan. We just happened to have a Siamese cat that was abandoned and started sleeping under our wheelchair ramp. See, there's another bonus, you know. Yeah. For all those realtors and architects that tell you you can't sell your house because there's a wheelchair ramp and it's an yeah. eyesore. It's a shelter for animals. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and Heidi and Steve, it's a really, really pleasure chatting with you both and finding more about your story and really shedding light on, on that caregiving relationship dynamic out there that no doubt so many of us are you know, find your insight, find your, your thoughts so invaluable. And we we wish you both well. And, and Steve, we hope you can check out some of your articles on yeah. on new mobility and everything. And, and Heidi, you know, keep doing what you're doing, advocating you know, for us. And everything. we really, really appreciate you. Yeah. You can uh, fo- you follow me on Twitter at GimpGirl64. GimpGirl64. All right. Steve, you got a Twitter too? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think I'm Steve Wright 64. <laughs> we were both born the same year, so. Yeah. All right. Tail into the baby boom. <laughs> well, well, thank you guys so much. We look forward to it. Because you're with you guys again. Super. We would love to chat again. Yeah, again, sure. we're, we're an open book at this point. You know, if someone thinks less of me for being honest, that's their issue, not mine. Excellent. Thank you for your time, too. Yeah. Really enjoyed my chat with Steve and Heidi. Uh, just some amazing people with some amazing stories and just some some really, really cool advice uh, to give to our community, especially caregivers out there as well. So we hope you enjoyed it. Before we let you go, remember, be a part of our Strong Will Together campaign. And don't forget, you can nominate someone for the awards that we have ready to give out to some amazing individuals out there. Remember, go to unitedspinal.org and nominate someone today. We're looking for individuals with spinal cord injuries or disorders, excelling in arts, sports, entrepreneurship, youth leadership. We need your help to nominate them. Until next time, folks, please stay well, stay safe. And remember, I love you guys in life. Take care, folks.